Welcome to the Faith and Culture Now podcast. I'm Scott Schiffer, and today I'm joined by Aaron Newton. Aaron, as always, good to have you here. It's glad to be here. So today we are continuing our series on evangelicalism and deconstruction uh, of Christianity, and we're going to be talking today about two specific issues, um, issues regarding LGBTQ+, and issues regarding the anti-purity movement. And so I want to begin talking about the uh, LGBTQ issues by saying that evangelicals, um, well, rather ex-evangelicals, uh, see many conservative Christians as people who either hate or passionately dislike members of the LGBTQ plus community. This is not surprising as homosexuality has been treated by many as the worst possible sin. And uh, I've even heard some pastors say that if your child embraces homosexuality, they should be shunned to the point of not even being invited into your home uh, to even join your family on holidays such as Christmas. And so um, I can definitely see why this is something that is very frustrating to a lot of people that are leaving the conservative church. Uh, in our society, members of the LGBTQ plus community have faced significant persecution uh, for their lifestyles. Suicide rates are incredibly high for those in this community. Issues of bullying continue to persist. The church is supposed to be a place where all are welcome, but in many conservative churches, uh, all that is found for people of these communities is more hate. Those angry with evangelicals over LGBTQ plus issues see the church as a major contributor uh, to the continued persecution, leading to high rates of anxiety, depression, other mental health concerns, and suicide by members of this community. And so uh, with that being said, Aaron, uh, in your experience, uh, what have you seen as far as how the church has uh, just, you know, treated the issue of homosexuality or uh, issues of uh, bisexuality or other things like that, and now issues of transgenderism? Yeah, this has been one of those hot topics uh, that have been in our church. Now, again, I grew up in a church that um, was much more fundamental, legalistic at times, um, you know, even whether they would claim that or not. And it was preached. Um, the Romans, uh, Romans 1 passage as kind of this message about sin and how sin gets worse and worse and worse. And then the climax of the worst of all sins was homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And as a new believer, that's just, that was just taken like, okay, I guess that's what it is. And it was odd. And it started to be conflicting for me to hear the, that message and then hear the gospel, which was preached that any sin, the smallest thing that could be done makes you a sinner in need of salvation. And so like if, if one tiny sin is enough to make you a sinner, then why do we have this weird scale of this is the worst of all kinds? And I think subconsciously it was creating this atmosphere of us versus them. Uh, like as long as you're not as bad as, and then just fill in the blank, then you know, then you're, you're all right. And homosexuality got put into like, kind of like the worst of all sins. Um, and so it, I don't know if, if where I came from would openly tell you to shun, um, others, but 
the stories are there, you know, friends and people we know that finally would, you know, feel confident enough to tell their loved ones, you know, how they feel sexually, then they would be shunned. And, um, and just watching the pain that that would then come about, you know, from uh, the person who has come out and then, you know, the parents or the friends or the family members that are now rejecting them and trying to cope with, you know, who are they pleasing? Um, so it's been a very damaging place. I live in Denton. Um, Denton is very, we call ourselves like the little Austin at times. So mm-hmm. it has been kind of the center of this constant conversation as LGBTQ and pride has become more, you know, prominent. Um, it has definitely been something that's been discussed more and more and more, um, within the city. And of course now we're at another church. Um, but it, it's, it's been very difficult. I can see the pain and the kind of the bullying that's happened even from the church, um, for my experience over the last, you know, 30 years of, um, being here in Denton and, and just being part of the church life. It's, yeah, there's definitely a damage in, in this, this culture of shunning in a way. I think that the, the tide is turning, um, but it's, it's being held in that tension of you go mm-hmm. full, you know, acceptance and, you know, do, do, do you accept it and approve the lifestyle or do we find that tension of like, how do we love and still say, I think the Bible um, does not approve of that. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's tense for sure. Yeah. And, you know, coming up, we're going to do an entire series on LGBTQ plus issues. Um, so we only have, you know, obviously so much time in this podcast to cover all the, all the grounds. But um, I was uh, supply preaching at a church, uh, which I do on occasion, uh, just, you know, being a seminary professor, sometimes people will call you and say, hey, I'm, I need somebody to preach for me this Sunday. Will you come and preach? And so uh, one time I, a few years ago, went to preach at this church. And when I got there, uh, I was met by the deacons, and uh, I was, you know, asking them a little bit about the church, a little bit about the people in the church, and one of the deacons said to me, yeah, recently we had a homosexual couple come and visit our church. We let them know real quick they weren't welcome here, and I'm like, really? But why, you know? I mean, uh, if if they're not here to hear the gospel message preached, how do you expect Christ to, you know, enter their heart and, um, you know, save them? I mean, you know, uh, so uh, it, it just it just seemed very odd to me. Um, I also recently uh, started reading a, a book that's sort of forthcoming uh, by a, a lady who is um, same sex inclined. So she would consider herself a lesbian. Uh, she's a Catholic nun, uh, which also means she's celibate, right? She practices celibacy. So uh, in her view, um, people who are uh, attracted to other members of the same gender should remain celibate. And that's kind of how she approaches it in her book that she's writing, uh, just about her experiences. Uh, But one of the things I find really interesting is she shares some stories. And one of the things she talks about is um, with regard to depression and anxiety and other things, when people deal with, say, alcoholism or grief or uh, other mental health concerns, and they go to churches of any religion, they tend to have a decrease in those symptoms. But for people who are inclined towards same-sex attraction or uh, feel like they are stuck in the wrong gender body or things of that nature, when they go to church, again, pretty much of any religion, 
their risks of suicide and other health concerns increases instead of decreases. And my thinking is that just should not be the case. Um, she even talked about being in a Bible study one time where a woman said, I learned that my son is gay. And she said, I wish I, I she said, I would rather learn that he had died than found out that he was gay. And, um, you know, it's, it's these kinds of attitudes that are just incredibly hurtful and harmful. Uh, they're not productive. They don't build a bridge to the gospel. And um, they're, they're the kind of things that make Christians look hateful towards others. Um, and again, it's not just Christians who are this way. Um, uh, there are some countries in the world today where if you say you're a homosexual, they still put you to death, um, which I also think should not be the case, you know. Um, even if conservative Christians do not agree that practicing Christians should be actively engaged in LGBTQ relationships, um, there's no justification for hatred towards these people. So some Christians are going to say, if you are part of the LGBTQ community, uh, as long as you are, um, you know, typically what they'll say is, um, as long as you are practicing monogamy and refraining from sexual activity outside of even um, monogamous, you know, same-sex marriage, then you're okay. And others will say, like this nun, um, if you are same-sex inclined, you should remain celibate. Um, and so uh, either way, uh, you know, even if we can't agree there, the LGBTQ community is often very accepting of people as they are. And the church, on the other hand, has been very judgmental even to its own members over a wide variety of sinful behaviors. So much so uh, that in church, a lot of people don't feel like they can even be themselves on Sunday mornings, right? Uh, I can't tell people I'm struggling with this, otherwise I'll get shunned. Um, well, that's not the idea of church. You go to the church so you can uh, say, you know, look, I'm struggling with this and I need God's help and I need y'all's help to help me, um, you know, overcome this problem in my life, right? Uh, the church needs to learn from the LGBTQ community about how to embrace people in a way that allows people to be themselves. Um, we often make people feel like they have to put on a mask in order to be accepted at church while we preach a message of come as you are, right? Come as you are. Like you're hearing, you know, the contradictions you heard in the gospel, right? Um, you know, every, you know, every, any sin you do separates you from God, but God can rescue anyone from their sin. Oh, except for you guys, you know, what you're doing is really bad. Well, that's not the, that's not the case. Um, what we mean is, uh, or how it's interpreted anyway, is come as you are, unless you're X, Y, Z, A, B, C, or one, two, three. Our actions have promoted a sort of inauthentic hypocrisy. In reality, everyone has struggles. We don't attend church because we have it all figured out. We attend church because we all need God to help us in the midst of our broken lives. And all of us are broken, all of us are sinful, and all of us have problems that uh, we need to have God's help working through those things. So any thoughts there, Aaron? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, just the comments about like how our how our feelings about, you know, our feelings or our beliefs about homosexuality and the way that we act upon those beliefs or is specifically causing another person such pain and such 
you know, the, the idea of suicide and things like that, which, you know, we would also say things against, you know, taking your own life and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but for some reason we, we tolerate that idea or I'm saying we just, I really don't want to be part of the we, but you know, the church has tolerated like, well, you can, you can be hateful to those people because they deserve it. And Mm -hmm. anything that you do to them is really not your fault. Like it's very weird. Like it's very, you know, hypocritical that we can condone our own bad behaviors against somebody else, you know, bringing them to a place that they feel total despair and that they need to take their own life. And, and, uh, and it's really hard. I think that has been part of this conversation that seems to really be brewing more and more in our culture of just the mental health aspect to, um, how we relate to other people. And the church has just been terrible about it. You know, with, Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about sex abuse and, um, you know, how victims are treated, you know, we just have gotten some things wrong. Um, not always theologically, but it's just in the ethical way that we react with other people. And I think that that is the place that the church needs to focus more. Um, of course, some may say the folk, the church needs to focus on supplementing the scriptures with, you know, modern science and things like that to, you know, make Mm -hmm. homosexuality acceptable but i think really the issue is you know if we if we want to stand firm to what we believe that the scripture is saying that it um that it's not you know affirmed in the bible that we have to change though how we how we react with these people um you know and our friends and family that that choose that lifestyle um and especially not a conversion option that's the part that's so shocking i i grew up in a church that still promoted some kind of conversion conversion things i not not, yeah conversion therapy um and like not specifically in homosexuality but personally i had a family member that uh that became a hindu um during you know college years and like a conversion option like an intervention conversion option was suggested by the staff of the church Mm -hmm. and it was just you know, like it was, you know, it's almost like we need to, we need to address the issue militantly. And mm-hmm. I don't know why we believe that anybody is yeah. going to hear truth through yelling and coercion and force. And that's never worked, yeah. but for some reason, we still want to believe that's going to work. Um, so, yeah, I think that this, you know, we're making small steps. Um, mo- many churches are making small steps to figure out how do we accept people, um, you know, where do they fit in in church? I have a, um, a cousin who is a lesbian and she and her partner attend a church here. Um, and the big question, I had another friend that was on staff at that church. She was like, I don't, we're, we're talking about where can they serve as volunteers? Um, because Mm -hmm. they want to volunteer and, you know, but they also are lesbians and they're open about it and they're, they're married and, you know, what do we, how do we handle that? And it's been interesting to, to walk with friends and family of, of kind of discussing how churches need to react, but yeah, it's, um, oof, yeah, it's, it's a really tough topic because mm-hmm. I do think that you're just standing in the middle of being faithful to what the scripture is saying and exhibiting love. And we've totally failed on exhibiting love in the past. And that's, 
where we need to work really hard. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I've never seen anyone accept the gospel through um, harsh academic debate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen anyone turn to the gospel and repent for their sins because people are um, treating them poorly <laughs> over their sins. You know, um, uh, and Paul says several times in the New Testament that love should be foundational to the actions that you, you take in sharing the kingdom of God with others. And he even says, you know, the more I do, if I do it without love, it's just like a banging gong. It, you know, it's, it's making a lot of noise, but it's not really effective. It's not doing anything. And, um, you know, we talk about God is love. We talk about Christians should love one another. Christians should love their neighbors. You know, who's my neighbor? Well, according to Jesus, uh, you know, it's the guy that you would normally hate, you know, I mean, uh, it's the good Samaritan who's considered good because he helped the person, even though everyone else would have been, you know, racially um, prejudiced against him uh, and, you know, all the people Jesus was talking to in that context. Um, you know, even in the Old Testament, we see continuously that the Jews are to embrace the foreigner. They are to welcome the foreigner in with love and um, bring them into the practice of Judaism, you know? So it's, it's very odd to me how we do sort of elevate this. And um, to, to sort of make my point, I like to discuss this particular sin uh, and it's um, gluttony. You know, um, we have so many overweight people in our churches and, um, you know, we just don't even really bring it up like it's an issue. But, you know, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to take care of it. Now, that's not saying that everybody should be as thin as a toothpick, you know. Um, I think that there's a difference between thin and healthy body, having a healthy body image, you know. But um, you'll, you'll see guys, I mean, I've seen pastors get up and preach and they'll say, this big old boy likes to eat, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then, you know, and you people are all sinful. I'm like, well, hold on, buddy. Um, I'm glad you like to eat. It's good to eat. You have to eat to live. But if you're living to eat, you got your priorities mixed up. And um, I, I think you could say the same thing about gossip, you know. Uh, gossip is a huge issue in American social culture. It's a huge issue in our churches. And it's treated as if, yeah, well, people just do that and you just move on. Uh, whereas if someone embraces, say, homosexuality, all of a sudden it's like, well, it would have been better if they would have been a serial killer than a homosexual. And <laughs> It's like, absolutely not. That's, that's not how things progress on, on, the, uh, on the issue of sin. And if all sins are, in essence, equal, they have different consequences, right? So, you know, if you do something that causes you to go to jail, you have a consequence that's different than uh, something that maybe just, you know, hurts your best friend's feelings. And then you guys, you know, um, you know have a, a wall built up in your relationship that you have to work through. But um, regardless, you know, all sin separates us from the love of God, and all sin is covered by the blood of Christ on the cross. And so to to treat this one issue as different or somehow more wicked and evil than everything else is certainly something we need to work on. Um, Christians should always be about building a bridge to the gospel 
There's no need to shun someone who chooses a different lifestyle. This is we should not shun someone who struggles with any other kind of addiction with any kind of sin. Uh, the church should be a safe place for people to come to hear the message of the gospel and to learn about the love of Christ. This does not mean we must embrace all LGBTQ practices, uh, but it does mean that we should show grace and that we should continue to uphold the dignity and respect of all people. Whether someone is homosexual or not, they are created in God's image. They are valued. Uh, they are valuable. They are um, worthy. They are, they are full of worth, and they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. All people are created in God's image equally. And so uh, my proposed solution sort of moving on is to say, look, just like you're saying, Aaron, we, we've got to learn to treat people who choose alternative lifestyles with love, respect, and dignity. Um, I've said this before, maybe not in the podcast, but um, you know, heterosexual people who are looking for a life partner are looking for someone who will just simply love them and accept them for who they are. And the attitude is often that people who embrace same-sex marriage or same-sex lifestyles uh, are not looking for that. They're just trying to undermine the moral fabric of our country. And in reality, people who are inclined towards same-sex attraction are looking for the exact same thing as people who are inclined towards heterosexual attraction. They just want to find someone who's going to love them and accept them for who they are. Um, again, you know, some churches um, have swung more left or more right on the issue of homosexuality. Um, and I don't think we could, we certainly can't solve that issue here this morning. Uh, but um, uh, I tend to, just so that everybody who's listening knows, uh, the, the nun who I mentioned her book earlier, uh, you can also see arguments. There's a website called the Gay Christian Network. It's not a TV network. It's a network of people. It's a network set up for people who um, are same-sex attracted, and it allows them to converse and have the theological discussions together. And uh, their founders, uh, they have two founders, and they're based in Austin, Texas. Um, but one of the founders believes that it's okay to have monogamous relationships. The other one believes you should remain celibate. Um, but my uh, reading of scripture um, is that um, Paul would not have accepted uh, same-sex lifestyles and practices. Um, we've, we'll get into in the, the series on LGBTQ issues, uh, the words used for homosexuality in scripture and all that kind of stuff. Um, the Old Testament era did not accept it. Um, it wasn't accepted very well anywhere during the Old Testament era, but um, it seems to me that uh, it's, it's outside of um, God's norm uh, for, for relationships. And so I believe that if you are same-sex inclined, um, there is um, uh, no reason to think that you cannot become a Christian. Uh, but like the nun, I think that you should remain celibate. Um, Francis Chan takes that same approach and has some really good videos on the topic. Um, but what I don't believe is that you should be unwelcome at church. What I don't believe is that you should be um, incapable of doing ministry. And what I don't believe is that you should um, be forced out of your families or shunned or made to feel less significant as a human being or anything like that. 
so uh, we'll again talk more about that uh, in some additional podcasts. But uh, the other issue we want to talk about today is anti-purity. Uh, many people, uh, including myself, have um, been influenced negatively or potentially damaged or hurt by uh, purity culture. And um, the culture has wrongly taught that sex itself is sinful. It's taught that sex is bad. It's taught that we should be ashamed of our bodies and natural inclinations that God's given us towards sexuality. Purity culture has done a significant amount of emotional damage. Uh, It's caused women to think that they're responsible for men's bad behavior. And it's caused men to think that their minds are so evil, they're just like a time bomb waiting to be set off. And um, people who grew up in this culture have had uh, documented sexual problems in marriage because they can't retrain their brains how to think correctly about sexuality. As a result, many ex-evangelicals have decided to promote consensual sex as opposed to abstinence. They've also promoted things like ethical pornography. Ethical pornography is defined as pornography where work conditions are respectful, where all members of the practice have consented to what is happening, and where nothing like sex trafficking is a part of the job. Ex-evangelicals who support this argue that when created with consistent uh, consent and respect, even pornography can be a positive thing in our culture. Um, to me, uh, that is probably a bit further than I would uh, ever care to go, but um, people are angry about purity culture because it looks like um, people are trying to promote this ideal of um, honor and shame and degradation in such a way that um, those who have been influenced by books like I Kiss Dating Goodbye or Passion and Purity or uh, you know, those kinds of works uh, essentially are, um, uh, they're just damaged, they're just hurt. And, and I totally get why they have these, uh, these issues with evangelical Christianity over the teachings and practices of purity culture. Uh, Aaron, what are some of your thoughts on uh, just how people have sort of turned on purity culture? Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, so I grew up in the the purity culture era and with uh, a lot of influence from that. Definitely, you know, I'm probably still working through a lot of feelings of shame um, over my own like body development, um, you know, in high school and suddenly I am now responsible for my peers, um, thoughts and actions. And that was, that was pretty rough. And so I can, like, I can sympathize with this idea that, um, obviously that doesn't work and that we are sexual creatures and we ought to be able to participate in that. Um, logically I do have that, you know, those thoughts where you're like, well, what if you what if you were a missionary and you found somebody you loved and you're in the jungle and there's no real government to get a marriage license? When does marriage actually start? Can I, can we have sex then? Like, and it's, you know, kind of processing through really a mindset of legalism and trying mm-hmm. to figure out where that is. And I think that that is kind of what we've developed through the purity culture. And, uh, you know, I'm raising a daughter and three boys and, like knowing that that is going to be conversations in the future about where, where does sex fit into our daily life? What is acceptable? What is not? How do we make that decision? Um, I think there is obviously the embrace of just letting yourself be as sexual as you want it to be. 
Um, Mm. And then obviously with consent, you know, we have, you know, started this big movement towards, you know, me too, and and trying to move away from non-consensual sexual behaviors. Uh, But it's, it's really interesting. You know, I just finished up a huge section of my thesis that got into fertility cults and, really just kind of looking at the sexual behavior of this, you know, the old Testament world and how involved the Israelites were with things like prostitution, but it was consensual. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think that the Bible, it's, it obviously condemns that behavior, but they're, they're condemned really because of their heart toward worshiping another God. Like there's a, there's something else right. going on. Like, obviously the sexual behavior is not approved, but there's something mm-hmm. greater going on. And so when we look at this rejection today of purity culture of like, I should just be able to go and have sex because that's what I want. The sexual behaviors that we're getting involved with are still not approved. And I don't think that that God, you know, favors that action, but the real heart of the issue is that we've got a, a bigger thing. Like we're worshiping, just the act of pleasure um mm-hmm. and and it's and then in the within the church i think we have this issue that these conversations about sex and sex and marriage leave single people really kind of out in the middle of nowhere you know like yeah. if you don't ever if even if you're heterosexual and you're like okay we approve of you but you know <laughs> the sexual part is still an issue and and just like, have we elevated sex to this level? Like it's either we condemn it and say it's, you should only do it for procreation and it's really not that great, which is a lie. Or we make it this whole like heterosexual sex is God's given design. And that's why he created Adam and Eve. And like, that's not our purpose in life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. It's like, we have two mountaintops and we can't figure out which one we should put sex yeah. on. And both of them are wrong. <laughs> you know, and, um, it's just interesting. I, I, I see, I can sympathize with people who want to just punt it all and just, just fulfill their desires and their urges. Mm -hmm. But I also don't think that that, I I think those are the actions are wrong, but at the same time, really that what's issue deep down is just the love of yourself. Like I want my body to have this feeling And, you know, I want emotionally to have this feeling, this connection. And that's Mm -hmm. more important than, than what the Bible has told me I should do. But yeah, it's, it's tough right now. Yeah. You know, Paul says, if um, you can't control yourself, you should get married. Right. (laughs) I mean, um, it's interesting. And so in the first century world, a lot of Jews were still getting married as teenagers Um, in the Roman uh, side of side of the world, um, the Greek side, right? Um, most men were getting married in their twenties, while most girls were getting married as teenagers. The reason for the differentiation there is because there were a lot more men than there were women, uh, because unfortunately the Roman society was um, practicing infanticide on a lot of girls who were born. You know, um, they 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 valued men more, and so some families didn't want to have daughters, so they would kill the daughters after they were born and um, which is horrible. And that's a whole nother issue. Uh, But in the old Testament world, um, you know, you're talking about getting married at 12, 13 years old. Mary was probably 14 when Christ was born, 
you know, 13 or 14, somewhere around there. And, um, you know, I mean, I've got girls who are almost teenagers now and I'm going, no, they're not ready for that kind of, you know, adulthood. Um, uh, and, and so in some respects, I think it's more difficult in our culture to, um, you know, teach biblical purity because you're not seeing people waiting until, uh, or you're not seeing people getting married at, you know, 14, 15 years old. You're seeing people getting married at 28, 29 years old. And, um, you know, these urges that Paul's talking about for most people, you're getting into a relationship where that's acceptable because of marriage at such an early age in his world. Whereas in our world, you've got, um, you know, almost as many years of your life to deal with those urges as you had been alive before you started getting those urges uh, before you get married. And uh, so I can see how just saying, well, hey, look, if it's consensual, it's good. I can see how that's appealing. Uh, but I also see how that's kind of, um, in some respects, that's, um, that's playing to your own desires, not playing to what scripture teaches. And so the question then becomes, well, then what do we do? You know, how as a church do we deal with this issue? Um, you know, I think while the church should promote purity, and um, I've used in our podcast, uh, thanks to Steve Stanley, um, the term sexual integrity. Uh, you know, we need to, because we're responsible for our own sexuality, we're responsible for our own sexual feelings, thoughts, actions, and so on. Um, and so we need to sexually uh, treat others with um, respect, <laughs> dignity, and we need to be responsible for our own actions, right? Uh, so we need to promote uh, this idea of sexual integrity or purity um, as it's part of, it's a necessary part of Christianity. Uh, we must learn to promote it in ways that view sexuality as a positive part of God's creation. We must learn that sex is a good thing created by God, and we must learn to respect our bodies and other people's bodies for that matter. Um, as a replacement for a purity culture that bases so much of its practices on sin, shame, and guilt, uh, my proposed solution or reconstruction of this is that we teach purity in a form that leads, to peop uh, leads people rather to loving, committed relationships that embrace all God wants uh, marriage to include. In order to do this, we must teach that sex is good. We must teach that um, physical desires are good. We simply must show that certain things are only acceptable inside marriage, not because those practices are wrong, but because they're best enjoyed within the bounds of marriage. Um, they're best enjoyed in marriage because God designed sexuality to, uh, sexuality to be completed in marriage as a way of bringing two people together as one. When sex is practiced outside of marriage, it can lead to heartache, it can lead to embarrassment, it can lead to pregnancy, uh, it can lead to other things. Uh, but, but I think, you know, really, uh, the, the heart of the issue is that God's rules are there for our benefit, for our protection. And he knows that sexu uh, sex itself is an emotionally vulnerable activity. And you give your heart to people that you're having sex with. And so uh, if you give your heart to someone and trust them, and then there's no, you know, marital commitment there, um, then it's much easier for you to get hurt emotionally from what's happening. Um, that being said, even within marriage, uh, I think, unfortunately, because of the way purity culture has uh, taught, you know, well, women are supposed to please the husband or whatever else, 
um, men feel like some Christian men feel like they can tell your, their wife, I want sex now and you have to give it to me because you are under me. I'm your authority and you have to do what I say. And that's not good sex either. Um, good sex is definitely consensual. And it happens in marriage when both parties are ready to enjoy that together. And so, um, you know, God's design, again, is that sex is to be enjoyed inside marriage to protect us from those things. And uh, it should always, always, always um, be done in such a way where both people are, are able to be fulfilled and um, not feel taken advantage of. And uh, so those are kind of my thoughts on the reconstruction of it. What are your thoughts, Erin? I think that's really good. I think the the term, like moving away from purity culture and really talking about sexual integrity, I think does put a little bit more like self-respect back into the conversation. Um, not saying that you don't respect yourself if you have sex outside of marriage or in, in whatever fashion, but um, but it does kind of kind of bring that personal aspect back to it that we understand that um, you know that sex does come with various emotional um, consequences, you know whether they're good or bad, um, and that we have to be be conscious of like you know if you do this you might have, you know, you're going to have some consequences you're going to have to deal with the same way with like gluttony and, you know, stealing or lying and, and gossip, all these things like it'll feel all right at the time, but there are things in the future. And I think that, that we just have to keep reteaching the church about sex and its place. Um, you know, understanding that it is good, but it is not the end all identity, you know, just, um, some of our closest friends are singles and, you know, having mm -hmm. to constantly, you know, keep in mind that they don't want to sit and have me talk about how being married with children is the greatest thing ever. If God has called them to singleness. Right. Um, and we don't, we don't know if that's, you know, the calling, but at the time, the current season is there in the season of singleness. And, um, and, you know, and I think we just, we're just trying to change, the the conversations um not to change our theology behind it you know we still promote purity the way that i think was behind some of the purity culture but it got so out of hand as all mm -hmm. human endeavors do um and i'm sure in 20 years we'll look at this and be like oh we got out of hand here too but um you know you hope for the best but i think that just creating a sense of forgiveness too um because i think at this mm -hmm. point you know, at purity culture, we may have been like, let's just prevent all the bad things from happening right. from here. But now we, I mean, like everybody you're coming into contact with likely has some form of sexual infidelity with them, whether it's pornography or um, sex outside of marriage or homosexual behaviors, whatever it is, we're all coming into these churches with this as part of it and just being able to have grace and forgiveness. Um but not acceptance. And again, it's like that constant tension of like to love and yeah. to love others and treat them well, but still hold sin to this, you know, where it is. We're yeah. not going to give up on, you know, changing the rules and changing the definitions to, to fit ourselves and make it more comfortable. Um, and that really, you know, 
yeah, this, our whole Christian life, I feel like we got, we were getting into a weird place where it's like, I guess we'll just have to be comfortable and bend the rules of the Bible to keep mm-hmm. our comfort levels where they are. But it's like Christianity is not a comfortable religion. Like it's constantly like my body wants to do this, you know, all the things I wish I, I, I don't want to do. I do. That's what Paul says. And mm-hmm. that's true. I think he clearly struggled with all the same sexual issues that we struggle with. Um, yeah. There's nothing new in the that. Church itself so, has been struggling with it for the last 2000 years. I mean, yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, like in the old Testament, I can tell you all we're getting into like the calcolithic period, you know, we're like two, 3000 BC. And I'm like, guess what? There are fertility idols. Even then there are naked idols. I'm like, this has been part of human existence. Um, but we, I think we have lost sight of grace and love and that's where we need to, to, to bring that back into the conversation. And, um, and start with like, like you propose, like we need to change how we teach this and how we teach other believers about yeah. sex and people who, like you mentioned, you know, everybody's got some kind of sexual baggage and, um, people tend to really guilt themselves over that or feel like they're less valuable because of it, because of the way that we've taught purity culture, I think. And, um, in reality, no matter what you've done, you're still equally valuable. You're still equally valued. And um, no matter where you're at in life, whether you're married or single, uh, single with children, married with children, married without children, right? Um, you're, you're no less valuable. You're no less usable to God's kingdom. If you're a woman, your value isn't wrapped up in your ability to have babies. You know, um, it's great that you can do that. It's a blessing that you can do that. But your whole worth is not dependent upon it. Um, I wanted just to go back. I mentioned uh, a second ago the anti-purity movement towards ethical pornography. Um, so I just want to, to say here, um, I don't agree with, obviously, the use of pornography, um, primarily because it does two things. It teaches objectification of people, and that promotes the valuing of people. And uh, the other problem that I have with it is it's very one-sided. You know, people are, are in, um, in need of relationships. And the problem with pornography is that it's completely one-sided. There's no reciprocity. Uh, and that's why it never is fulfilling the way that actual human relationships are. And so um, the reason that Christians avoid it is because it... Um, it, it does bring emotional um, damage uh, with, with its practice. It also causes problems between people when they are in relationships together and one person is uh, involved in that, the other person is not. And the other person feels like you're not being faithful to them because you're sharing something that's only supposed to share with them with, uh, with other things. And so um, there is that. And we also know that uh, the continued use of pornography based on studies um, leads to um, sexual problems with your spouse uh, in, in the bedroom. And so uh, it's important to just kind of keep those things in mind. Uh, again, um, when it comes to purity, you know, we're not supposed to be people characterized by lust. That's what Jesus says in the Gospels in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said, don't have, you know, don't commit adultery. I'm saying to you, 
you know, don't, don't be lustful towards other people. Treat people with value, treat people with respect. And if you learn to respect others uh, and you learn to respect yourself, it'll be a lot easier to maintain sexual integrity uh, in the way that you carry out your life. Um, so today we talked about LGBTQ plus issues a little bit. We talked about purity culture a little bit. Um, both of these deal with sexuality. And um, in summary today, um, you know, the evangelical deconstruction movement has brought up some really good uh, points with both of these issues they have with the church. The church has done a very poor job of teaching a shame-based sexuality. They've also done a very poor job of making people feel welcomed to embrace certain practices that the church doesn't typically agree with. And uh, as a result, um, in both cases, people are made to feel by the church as less valuable people, and it has caused emotional damage, emotional trauma, and even led to depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts and actual suicides uh, by some. It's also uh, these teachings have uh, done a lot of damage in families where uh, people are being shunned or made to feel like they're no longer loved by their parents, um, you know, or whatever else, uh, grandparents, aunts and uncles, whoever. So um, the church definitely needs to grow in these two areas. And in order to do that, we're going to have to figure out how to better approach the LGBTQ plus issues and the LGBTQ plus community uh, from a biblical perspective. Not all Christians are going to agree on exactly what that looks like, um, but it's important to know that being inclined towards same-sex attraction or even feeling like you are in the wrong body, gender dysphoria uh, or transgenderism, um, uh, doesn't preclude you from being able to love God or being able to receive God's love. And um, being someone who has uh, sexually messed up also doesn't prevent you from being able to love God or receive God's love. And so as a church, we've got to do better with love as our foundation of learning how to help people move forward uh, where they have messed up, but also uh, helping people be able to walk in the kingdom of God um, where, where they're at now and, and, and just moving forward. So uh, from uh, those of us at Faith and Culture Now, thanks for listening today. Aaron, thanks for being here. And, Thank uh, you for having me. We'll see you guys next time.